0: Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're gonna be in John chapter three. Uh, This morning, if you are just joining us, we are in a series together through the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're concluding the the third chapter of our study. And we have been in this chapter now for the last four weeks. In in fact, looking back at the whole series of uh, the Gospel of John so far, it's taken us, uh, as of today, it marks 15 weeks that we've been in the Gospel of John. So it just kind of gives you a perspective. If you go 15 weeks, three chapters, how long it's probably gonna take us uh, to get through the whole Gospel uh, letter. But he, here's the deal. No matter how long it takes us, uh, the thing that is so incredible is how much richness is, is captured and, and communicated in this Gospel letter. And so honestly, I have loved this series. I have learned so much and I want you to understand that because really the, the goal of a preacher is not just to teach you that, that you would grow, that you would know, but that also that I would grow and that I would know. So ne- ne- never let any preacher tell you that it's just his job to teach you because he's arrived. Lord, Lord, help me if that's my thinking. But really, in this series, my, my goal and my aim has been to point us together to Jesus. And so this is why we've been going through this gospel letter, that we would look to Jesus and have life, that we would look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews 12 says, and that by looking to him, we would have life. And really in this, again, I just want to continue to remind you week after week the purpose of this gospel letter that really has driven my desire towards doing this. That as we saw in the video at the beginning of our time, John writes in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, as you can see on the screen behind me, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this is why we are in the Gospel of John. Why this Gospel letter is written. So that we may believe. And so here, as John says in this text, we have been really going through this letter looking at and learning about who Jesus is and how we may have life in his name. And so this morning, as we come to our text, we're looking at a section that uh, Jaron actually taught last weekend, and really, he did a great job, and I appreciate his teaching so much, because in that, he really showed us the very important truth that we're going to look at this morning, that we are to look to Jesus, that we are to look to Jesus, And so as we go to the text, we're really going to continue in what John the Baptist has just reminded us of, that Christ is all and Christ must increase. And so as we dive into the text this morning, what we're really going to learn and unpack is that Christ is above all and he is sent by God that we would believe in him. And so if you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill in the blanks, that Christ is above all and he is sent by God that we would believe in him. And so we're going to read in John chapter 3, starting in verse 31. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it's up on the screen this morning. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we have some over here at the hub, I believe at the the entrances, and that's our gift to you. Want to get the word of God in your hands And so we're going to start in John chapter 3 in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you. And we do so through the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And so God, in this time, I pray that we would look to him, that we would look to Christ. God, we thank you that you are a sending and a saving God. And so this morning, I pray that as we spend this little bit of time in these verses, that God, we would not long to grow our intellect, but to really fix our eyes more on Christ. That God, it would be all about Jesus this morning. So God, again, we thank you that you are a sending and a saving God of which we can can thank you for in and through Jesus. So God, we love you and we thank you In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in the first verse of our text, we see that Jesus is not only different from everyone else, Jesus is also greater than everyone else. In fact, in the first part of verse 31, John says that he who comes from above is above all. So listen, Jesus is the only one that can claim that. He's the only one that can claim that and really have that claimed about him because he can really back that up with truth. So what we need to understand is you and I can't claim that. We cannot claim that we are above all, but Jesus can. In fact, an example of this last week was that John the Baptist didn't even claim that. If you remember from Jaron's teaching last Sunday, in the final verse of his text, John the Baptist had said in verse 30, he must increase... Christ, but I must decrease. And so even, the John, even John the Baptist is telling us, listen, Christ is above all. I am not. And so in verse 31, we see a, really a continuation of that quote. Really, we find an anchored position in this truth, that Jesus is not only different from everyone else, Jesus is also greater than everyone else. And so what that means is that Jesus stands apart and he stands above all men. And so as we look at verse 31 again, we see in the middle section of the verse, really the limit and the nature of man. It says, he who is of the earth, that's us, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And so here, understand, John is speaking of himself. He's showing that there is really a contrast between himself And Jesus, that where Jesus is greater and from above, namely heaven, he is also not limited as men are, which is contrasted in the verse. And so look at where this verse returns to. It says that he, being Jesus, who comes from heaven is above all. I mean, really, if we were to just look at this verse, this is kind of really the ABCs simply of the the Christian faith, really the difference between us and Jesus. I mean, if we look at A, the first point of the verse, he is above all, he is authority. It says, he who comes from above is above all. Then Then the second part, now we're going A, B, we are not. The second part says, he who is of the earth, that's us. Belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And then the last part says he is above all again. And that speaks to his deity. He who comes from heaven is above all. And so really for us, this is a, this is a basic way to break this down in this verse. And really, it points out that Christ is above all. But why? Why is Christ above all? Because we can say that, but we need to understand that. See, John is continuing to show us the deity of Jesus. See, we learn this back in in John chapter 1 in the prologue, that Jesus is God. In fact, in the very first three verses of our text in John chapter 1, John spells this out clearly. He says in the first two verses, In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So here, Christ is above all. And what it says in the first two verses of John chapter 1 is that Jesus is the word that was in the beginning. That Jesus is the word that was with God, and Jesus is the word that is God. And so really, if we go to verse 3 then, if we move on, it really holds all of that together. That it says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What does that mean? Without Jesus, nothing is made, simply put. I mean, that's a pretty solid biblical argument as to why Christ is above all. It's that Christ is not created, he is creator. And so this also then points us to the fact that Jesus Christ is the personal, full disclosure of God, that Jesus is God in human flesh, that he is the creator of the universe who has become part of his creation, that he is pure, eternal being who has become a man. That's the message of John in his gospel letter, that Jesus is not a created man, He is God in human flesh. And so he is not, as the text says, of the earth. He is not belonging to the earth, and he is not speaking in an earthly way. And so, what we need to understand with importance is that you cannot detach the deity of Christ in Scripture from the rest of Scripture. It is a truth that bleeds all throughout this beautiful book. And so really what that means, for those of us that believe that, would believe Colossians 3 when it says that Christ is all and Christ is everything. And even further, it means that we will also be those who say with the psalmist in 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. See, love for and belief in Christ and devotion to scripture are directly connected to one another. And so what I mean by that is that the word of God guides and informs our understanding of who Jesus is. That the word of God guides and informs our understanding of who Jesus is. And so the words of Jesus in scripture are really directly connected to the character of Jesus. And so this means that his testimony of himself is true. But see, what we find in verse 32, what we find in this verse is that not all receive this truth. Not all receive this truth. That he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. And so honestly, this this should sadden us. I mean, honestly, it's as simple as rejecting an eyewitness to something incredible. It would be like saying to that exact eyewitness, no, 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 no. I hear you. I understand you've seen these incredible things and you've heard these incredible things and you're speaking about these incredible things firsthand. I just don't receive what you are saying to be truth. This is the same idea here. That Jesus' message is a message directly from God and yet there are those who, as verse 32 says, Do not receive his testimony. And so what this means is that people will hear, people will see, and people will know a lot about the truth, and yet still reject Jesus. And so let me tell you, this is not something that is foreign in the rest of the New Testament. This is especially not something that would have been foreign to the apostles. I mean, even the Apostle Paul brought this up in his letter to the church in Corinth at the very beginning of his letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul continues in verse 22 through 24, and he said, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, see, let me tell you, the reality is some outright know and understand intellectually, they fully understand all of the gospel and yet reject it. And so, here, what we need to understand is it's more than just knowledge, it's more than just human understanding. There's more to the message of the gospel. See, if we look at verse 33, we see that not all who hear the testimony of Jesus reject it. In fact, it says that some believe. And really what this verse also says is that they plant themselves upon what is true. Verse 33 says, Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Now, see, we know, even just from our study in the last three chapters of John, that there are certainly those who are in opposition and rejecting Jesus. I mean, especially the religious leaders. But even among all of those in opposition, among those who reject him, there stands those who see and hear the truth of Jesus and they receive his teaching. And so here, if I could just zero in on the text on just a couple of words for you that have, that have just absolutely consumed my study this week, those three words that are, prof- that are profound, it's that God is true. That whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. See, this is what so many reject. That they deny that God is truth. Which really is why Paul said to the church in Corinth that the gospel of Jesus is to those who are perishing a stumbling block and folly. That really to receive the testimony of Jesus is to believe that God is true. To believe that Christ is above all and he is sent by God. But see some do not believe this. They do not receive the message of the testimony of Jesus, and so they reject that God is true. In fact, some even go as far as to say that God is not only not true, God is not God, that he is non-existent. This is what would be called atheism, and often it's not a lack of intelligence. In fact, there are many intelligent atheists, but intelligence is not the thing that matters, faith is. And really, sometimes that seems foolish to those who do not believe. It seems foolish to those who do not believe. But really, we've learned already, it's not knowledge about the things of Jesus, it's the truth about God displayed in the person of Jesus. And really, to believe that isn't taking a bunch of facts and intellect, that takes faith. And so this is the mystery to those who do not believe. This is really a profound mystery, and really they they in their minds cannot comprehend or fathom why someone would place their trust and their devotion in Jesus. But see, what we need to understand is it's not the intellect of a man that brings him to Jesus. It's not the intellect of the man that brings him to Jesus. It's the testimony of Jesus that is received in faith that brings him to Jesus. But again, this is a mystery to those who do not believe, who would reject that. In fact, a great example of this would be Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris is a British columnist and an absolute devout atheist. And in his many travels as a columnist, he took a trip to Africa where he encountered uh, several Christian missionaries. And I just want to read to you what he says about this encounter of what he's seen. He says, in Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. He says, I used to avoid this truth by applauding, as you can, the practical work of mission churches in Africa and say, it is a pity that salvation is a part of the package. But Christians black and white working in Africa do heal the sick, do teach people to read and write. And only the severest kind of secularist could see a mission hospital or school and say the world would be better without it. Before, I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate missionaries to help, then fine. But what was counted was the help, not the faith. But this does not fit the facts, he says. Faith does more than support the missionary. It also transfers to his flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help but observe. This is what he is saying. This faith is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help but observe. This is profound. It's not all the facts. It's faith. See, if we go back to the text in John verse 33... What John is saying is that those who believe, those who receive Jesus' testimony in faith, stake their entire life upon this statement. God is true. This is why we look to Jesus and we believe in his testimony about himself. That Jesus is the full disclosure of God himself. And so to believe what Jesus says And what he bears witness to is to believe what is true about God. And in that, that is about faith. That is about coming to the truth of God's word. And so let me ask you, do you believe what is true about God? See, my deep concern is that often our ideas and our thinking is not shaped by the word of God. But by our own thinking imposed upon the Word of God. This would be my deep concern of any supplemental material that we would bring to the table. And really, my question is that in that is do we believe what is true about God and specifically what He clearly says about Himself in His Word? This is of utmost importance. And really, I will tell you, this is a heart-wrenching, deep concern of mine for you as your pastor. Even a few weeks ago in our Wednesday night service, we looked at the, the, the statistics surrounding how few people read their Bible. That they come on Sunday hoping for the word to be lived out in their life in that momentary time that we don't really study the word of God, we don't really seek the truths of God, we just use Twitter-size, bite-size scripture references. That is deeply concerning to me because that does not tell the whole truth about who God is. God is so much bigger than that. God doesn't fit in a Twitter post, and that's a good thing. Any God that we would serve that would fit in that kind of small kind of way is no God at all. God is big and he is true. And so in this, we see John go even further into verse 34. And he shows us the true character and the nature of Jesus. And he says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. So here again, we're back to the very first point that Christ is above all, that he alone is directly sent by God. He utters the words of God and also he gives the spirit without measure. He is given the spirit without measure. Now see, if you notice from this verse, verse 34, there's an incredible working of the Trinity together that God sent Jesus speaks, the Spirit is given. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are in perfect unity with one another. This is the beautiful communal nature of God. And really, we see this all throughout the Gospel of John. In fact, if I could just show you a few verses, we saw this back in John chapter one, verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so we see that God sends the Son as a servant of the Father. And then in John 16, verse 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify me. And then finally, in Jesus' prayer, in his high priestly prayer, in John 17, verse 1, he prays, Father, the hour is, has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. See, this is what C.S. Lewis called the divine dance. That the father glorifies the son and the Holy Spirit glorifies the son and the son glorifies the father. This is the perfect character of ascending and a saving God. This is what is true about him that God the Father has sent God the Son upon the cross, that he would die for all who would believe in him, and that through new life in Christ alone, we would receive relationship with God and the gift of the Spirit dwelling in us as the children of God. But listen, we only have all of this through Christ. In verse 35, John says, shows us further that Christ has full authority. It says the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Look where this begins. The father loves the son. And then it says it gives, that he gives all things into his hands. Now listen, it doesn't take much study for us to go beyond those two words and really see that Christ has full authority. So really, we we could argue and say, well, I, I see how Christ has a working authority, but I don't think he has all authority. Then really, we have to ask the question, what is all things? Because the verse is clear. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And we can go even further Greek. That's still gonna be all things. And so this is the work of ascending God that he would give all things into the hand of the son. And so really we see the completion of this verse directly from the mouth of Jesus. That after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus gave instructions to the disciples on what we know as the great commission. As he stated in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority given by God the Father. And really, the resurrection is the ultimate confirmation of Jesus' divine authority. We see this even as Paul tells the church in Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. It says, he, being God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So even further, we we ask the question, what are all things? Ephesians 1 gives us some clarity. And so now, this really means two things. That Jesus is sent by God and given his authority and in that, we are governed by the authority of Christ, And so what I mean by that is that for the Christian, Christ is the highest authority in their life. And so we look to him, to him alone for our final authority and as our savior. See, this is the testimony of Jesus Christ, that he is above all and that those who believe, who receive his testimony in faith, stake their entire Life, their entire existence upon this statement that God is true. And so, see, John concludes this section in in chapter 3 by really stating what was said earlier in verse 16. That at the beginning of verse 36, John says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. See, this is the incredible joy and truth of the gospel. And it's that we are not just saved from something, but also to someone. This is the incredible truth of the gospel. See, in the second half of verse 36, John says that whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So really, belief in the Son, in Jesus, is not only saving from the wrath of God, but also saving to God himself, which means we have eternal life with him. See, without belief in Jesus, the wrath of God remains on us. This is what we've looked at many times before, that apart from Christ, we have all sinned. We know this to be true of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, without faith in Christ, without relationship with Christ, we are all guilty. We are all perishing. We are all under God's righteous wrath, and we are already condemned. But see, this is where we were at. That doesn't mean that's where we need to stay. Remember, there are two different groups named in the text It's those who reject Jesus' testimony and those who receive it and believe that God is true. So belief in Christ alone is what makes us stand in justification and forgiveness and redemption rather than in the wrath of God. This is the good news of the gospel, that the righteous wrath of God has been satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. So really, as it says in the text, of those who receive the testimony of Jesus and believe that God is true, they believe in Christ and have eternal life. Again, this is the good news of the gospel, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. But listen, that is not just a passive statement or single act. It it is really a continued belief and practice because really gospel belief should lead to gospel behavior. And so to reject the son is to reject his gift of eternal life. And so what that means is you cannot tell him, listen, I'll take the gift, but reject the giver. I'll take your gift of eternal life, but I'm gonna reject you as savior. This is why once saved, always saved doesn't work. Now understand, I I believe in eternal security, but you cannot be saved by just acknowledging the Savior and rejecting him after. That believing in the son is more than just intellectual agreement or consent. That trust in Christ will inevitably motivate obedience to him and to his word. And so ultimately the side of that is that active disobedience reveals a lack of saving faith. But see, belief in Jesus, true belief in Jesus means behaviors that are conformed to Jesus. So if I could just put that simply, it means that Jesus calls the shots in your life and that's evident. So let me ask you, is this true in your life? Does Jesus call the shots? Does Jesus have full authority? Is your life shaped by trust in Christ that is displayed in radical obedience to him? See, what this means is that regardless of what you see or feel or think, To believe in the son and have eternal life means you are fully devoted to him alone in everything. And so if there is no death to self, no submission to Christ, no taking up a cross, no obedience to following Christ, no fruit or repentance, then that is not true belief in Christ. This is why for those who do not believe, verse 36 says, they will not see life. And the wrath of God remains on him. But see, what we continually learn is this beautiful truth that through true belief in Christ, there is life in him and there is life with him. And so it is not just the action of believing and trusting in that moment, but it is the action, the lifelong commitment of continuing in that belief. And so this means relationship with Jesus isn't a coexistence of your life and his life. It means a daily renewal and laying down of your life to pick up life in Christ, to pick up his ideas, his plans, and his will. This is where we get to death to self, submission to Christ, taking up a cross, obedience to following Christ, where there is fruit produced and true repentance that is through true belief in Christ. This is what is true. And so this again has, has brought us back as it, as it has many times this morning to verse 31 of our text. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now, see, there is a great contrast in this text that is in all of these verses. That in order for us to seek salvation, we must seek Christ, who is above all and is from heaven. So we can, we, we can claim all kinds of things about ourselves and say we're a Christian and say we follow. But true belief seeks Christ and Christ alone. I mean, you and I in the text, as it is stated perfectly, are of the earth and we speak in an earthly way. And really, if we're honest, what that means is that we're the ones who belonged on that cross It was our sin. It was our sin. But one came who is from above and who is above all. And he stood in our place. And so let me tell you, you cannot look to yourself for righteousness. You cannot look to yourself for escape from the wrath of God or for saving. This is the great contrast that Jesus is above all and he alone is the source to our saving. That he is the source of healing, the source of rescue from the poison of sin and the wrath of God. Jesus alone is the source of eternal life. And so let me tell you this morning, you need only to look to Christ You need only to look to Christ. So this morning as we come to a close, I wanna ask you an important question that we have just continued to press upon you these last few weeks. And that is, are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to Christ? See, this is the question that both Jaron and I have, have really asked you over the last few weeks. But what I what I would really want to even further press more than I ever have over the last several weeks is do not consider this only a thought in your mind. This should be something that shapes and controls our entire lives. Because looking to Christ is not a passive waiting around for something to happen looking to Christ is active. That really what we see throughout scripture is that those that look to Christ are those that serve. They are those that give and those that confess, those that give up sin, those that press in and those who believe that God is true. And so this morning, church, as we conclude in this chapter and really in our time this morning, I want to leave you with this question that really, if we're honest, demands an answer. Are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to Christ? Let's pray.